welcome to the Wesley Memorial Podcast. Join us this Sunday at 1225 Chestnut Drive in High Point. Visit us on the web at wesleymemorial.org. Now here is this week's message. I invite you to turn in the Word to the book of Romans. Our text for the morning is found in Romans chapter 6. And I'll begin reading at verse 12. The title of the message this morning, as we continue in our series inspired by Timothy Keller's book, uh, The Reason for God, the title of the message this morning is, Isn't Christianity All About Rules? Well, the short answer is no. Don't get excited, the sermon's not ended. (laughs) Because even though we know that Christianity is not all about rules, it's not even focused on rules, a lot of the Christian people I know, and we all have this tendency, a lot of the Christian people I know tend to focus on the rules. And we need to keep being pulled back from the rules to relationship with God Our text this morning is found in the book of Romans. I'll begin reading at chapter 6, verse 12. Paul begins this section with these words, Therefore, do not let sin exercise dominion in your mortal bodies to make you obey their passions. What this text is about, what the Apostle Paul is preaching here, and what John and Charles Wesley preached and sang about so much was that through Christ, because of the gospel of Jesus Christ, because of the grace that infuses our lives, we can be not just forgiven of our sins, but we can be freed from the power of our sins. Just a few moments ago, you saying that wonderful Methodist anthem, and can, uh, oh, for a thousand tongues, you sang that anthem that made reference to he breaks the power of canceled sin. He sets the prisoner free. John Wesley loved to remind the people called Methodists that he doesn't just pardon and forgive our sin, Once it's canceled, that's the pardon and the forgiving, once it's canceled, he breaks the power of canceled sin. That's what the Apostle Paul's talking about here when he says, do not let sin exercise dominion in your mortal bodies to make you obey their passions. The gospel ushers us out of having sin enthroned in our life as a monarch and ushers us into a life, a life that can be governed by the reign of God's grace. So Paul continues, verse 13, after he said this, he says, No longer then, therefore, no longer present your members, the members of your bodies, your members to sin as as instruments of wickedness, but present yourselves to God, as those who have been brought from death to life. And present your members, your your bodies, your whole selves, to God as instruments of righteousness. And that's 
in a large part, what we do here every Sunday, we come here before the altar of this church to present ourselves anew and afresh to God as a living sacrifice. Now that we've been freed from the dominion of sin, we can be empowered by the rule of grace in our lives. We can live in a right way, what Paul calls righteousness. And then this text concludes with verse 14. For sin will have no dominion over you. A good preacher repeats important points. Paul is repeating this from verse 12. Sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law but under grace. You're not under the rule of rules. But now, after you pass from death to life, you're under grace. Church, this is the Word of God for us, the people of God. We will not get where we want to get in life without focus. Without focus, we, we take our eyes off the prize, we take our eyes off the destiny that is before us, and we veer off into other paths. So we have to be focused in living this life. We need to be reminded on an ongoing, continual basis that living the Christian life is not the result of being focused on rules. Now, rules have their place. Rules really have their place in the life of sanctification. Rules have their place in the life of a believer as we're growing in grace. But too often we take rules that can help us and we throw them at the unbelieving world around us. And we don't understand why the unbelieving world has a hard time understanding our rules. And it's because we're misusing our rules at that point. The Christian life is not focused on those rules, even though rules sometimes can be important. They can be helpful in helping us to grow up in the faith as we remember some of the parameters, some of the boundaries of life. But the Christian life is never meant to be a focus on rules. Sometimes, church, we focus on rules because the more we focus on rules, the more we can be in control. And particularly those of us that are bent toward rule keeping we are bent toward rule keeping because the more we're bent toward rule keeping we can be in control particularly if we get to make the rules if you remember your biblical stories remember your gospels those people who were bent toward rules who centered their lives on rules those were the pharisees in the gospels And Jesus really did not have a hard time with the sinful people that he encountered. He had a hard time with those Pharisees that he encountered, those religious people who were focusing their life on rules as as a replacement for focusing their lives on relationship or relationships. So rules have their place, but rules are certainly not the focus of the Christian life. And by the way, neither... Neither are rituals. And rituals, again, have their place. Rituals help us to remember important things. Rituals help keep us together as a family, like our Thanksgiving rituals and our individual families. So rituals have their place, but sometimes if we focus too much on rituals, we're doing that because, again, we are addicted to control 
and we're focusing on rituals too much because sometimes, church, our focus on rituals can be used by us to keep the Holy Spirit at arm's length. So the Christian life is never meant to be a focus on rules or a focus on rituals. As we think about this, church, we need to repent That's a good word, by the way. We don't use it as often as we should. We should repent. We should turn and go a different direction. We should repent of thinking that life is all about performance. Now, those that love rules and rituals usually think all of life is about performance. Doing the right thing over and over and over again. And we get so focused on performance, we get so focused on what we do, and we forget to focus on what God has done in Jesus Christ. We need to be careful about a focus on performance, because if we are addicted to a focus on performance, we'll never, ever, ever understand grace We will never, ever, ever be able to receive the gift that God is giving us through the grace that's provided for us in Jesus Christ. We need to not be focused on performance, and we certainly don't need to be focused on perfect performance. And I'm I'm a recovering perfectionist, like perhaps many of you are recovering perfectionists. And I need to remind myself on a consistent basis that the focus is not to be on performance. The focus is certainly not to be on perfect performance. But sometimes our lives, this culture, pushes us in that direction to where we get a little neurotic about perfect performance And we have a really hard time receiving or understanding grace. Some of us were raised in homes where the focus was always on performance. And I'll make the confession to you, I was raised in one of those homes. The focus was always on performance. It was really hard for me to ever please my parents to the extent that I would hear appreciation I may have pleased them, but I didn't frequently hear appreciation. If I made a D in school, I really was in trouble. If I made a C in school, I should have made a B. If I made a B in school, I should have made an A. If I made an A in school, well, the teachers probably graded too easily. And many of us were raised in those environments. If we're raised in those environments, we are set off on this journey that B was talking about with a focus on performance. And as we set off on this journey with a focus on performance, we are continuing to try to please other people. We're continuing, perhaps even trying to please our parents that we didn't ever seem to be able to please. And sometimes long after our parents are gone, We're still doing what we're doing to please our parents because we're so focused on performance. Some of you need to hear this word this morning and find some freedom. Find find some freedom to not focus your life on just obsessive performance, making sure you do it right. Because if that's your focus, you will not understand grace. We're going to talk about grace in a few moments. We need to understand that the Christian faith is not about rules primarily, not about rituals primarily. It is primarily about the rescue of God in Jesus Christ for us. It is about the gift that's been given to us in Jesus 
Christ, living the Christian life. And we know this. We profess this. We profess it Sunday after Sunday. We've been in the Christian faith, some of us, for years. And we know this, but we'll still walk out and act as if it's all about us. It's all about my performance. It's all about what I do or don't do. We need to remind ourselves this morning, church, about grace. We call it amazing, even though we misunderstand it. We call it amazing. We need to understand grace again. It's about grace. It's not about rule-keeping. We need to understand that this grace that God gives us in Jesus Christ ushers us into a relationship with Jesus Christ. We need to understand that this grace is what makes a relationship with Jesus Christ a possibility. And the focus and the central component of our Christian life, the core of our being as Christians, is focused on that living, breathing relationship with Jesus Christ, the living Christ, the presence of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ in our lives. A love relationship, if you will, with the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ in our lives. Grace ushers us into this relationship. We need to define the word grace. That's one of those Christian terms that we throw around a lot. We use it a lot. We sing about it. But I'm not sure we take time to define it well. When I was on the Board of Ordained Ministry and I helped interview candidates coming through for ordination, and these were seminary graduates, I frequently would ask them questions to get them to define basic Christian concepts and terms. And I frequently would say, define grace for me. And they almost always, almost always, maybe 100%, I really can't think of an exception, would talk to me about grace being forgiveness of sin. That's true, doesn't go far enough. They would talk to me about grace as being God's pardon for us, forgiveness of sin. And that's true, and that's certainly marvelous, it's wonderful, it's part of being ushered into the relationship that we have with God in Jesus Christ. But that definition of grace does not go far enough, particularly as Wesleyan types in the historic church We like to look at grace, and we like to define grace like this. Grace is the gift of God's empowering presence in our lives. That's why we can talk about grace coming to us through Holy Communion. Grace, God's empowering presence in our lives. It's all about relationship, It's all about having God present in our lives. That's why we seek to be channels or vessels of grace. We seek to receive more and more of God's grace in our lives. Is God's empowering presence in our life. Now, God's empowering presence certainly forgives us, certainly pardons us for past sins, but God's empowering presence in our lives, that grace, God's empowering presence in our lives can clean us up, can break the power of canceled sin, can free the dominion of sin over us. So we need to make sure that we're receiving grace in its fullness. Sometimes we just think grace is a few words we say before a meal. And grace is so, so much more. When John Wesley preached on grace, which is almost every sermon he preached in some form or fashion, I'm so glad, by the way, in case you haven't noticed, the word Wesley's on this church sign out front. 
I'm very grateful for that. I'm also glad that it doesn't say John, because it can be Charles or John. I'm glad it's just Wesley Memorial United Methodist Church. We need to remember Charles and John. When John would preach about grace, when Charles would help us sing about grace, as they did over and over and over again in so many ways, we, we hear them talking about grace in its multifaceted ways. That's why, particularly when you look at John Wesley's sermons, he, he would say grace, but sometimes he would use the synonym God's love. Sometimes he would use the synonymous phrase, God's love shed abroad in our hearts. Sometimes he would use the synonymous concept for grace, just being simply the power of the Holy Spirit at work in our lives. So when John Wesley talked about grace, he used all of these terms in an interchangeable way. Grace. God's love, God's love shed abroad in our lives, operating in our lives, the power of the Holy Spirit being made real in our lives. That's what we Wesleyan types mean by grace. You know, when we look at all the other religions in the world, all of the other religions in the world want to try to tell people what they need to do to reach the divine they try to tell people what they need to do in order to please God. They, need to go tell, they, they seek to tell people what they need to do in order to reach nirvana or that perfect state one day. They, they tell people what they need to do in order to reach up to God. Christianity stands alone as conviction that this is all about not how we reach up to God, but how God reaches down to us. That's why in the Christian faith, it's not about do. It's not about what we do or what we don't do. It's about the word done. It's about what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. When Jesus on the cross uttered those words, it is finished, he meant that. At that point, God in Christ has done for us what we cannot do for ourselves. God in Christ is offering us God's self, God's empowering presence in our lives. Church, I hope that each one of you here in this place this morning could share with each other how you have experienced grace, how you were ushered into life with God by grace, how grace forgave you of your sins, how grace is cleansing of you of your sins, how grace is empowering you to grow up in the image of Jesus Christ. I hope that you can share with each other here how you've experienced grace, God's love, God's love shed abroad in your heart, the power and the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. I hope that you know God's love. As Wesleyan types, we like talking about the experiential side of faith. Remember, we were all birthed in a revival movement when John Wesley's heart was strangely warmed. So we like talking about the experiential side of faith. I hope you know grace, not just know about grace. I've talked to clergy types over the years that could write, write a thesis on what grace is. 
but sometimes I wasn't always sure they had experienced it or they knew it. I hope that you know grace in your lives. I hope that you don't just know about the love of God, but that you know the love of God in your life. I'm hesitant to even use the word love because the word love is, is so misused even hijacked in this culture. Usually when this culture uses the word love, the word love is nowhere close to what the Christian community means by love. But I think you understand what God's love's all about. It, it looks like the cross of Christ dying for you. I hope that you don't just know about that, but you know the love of God shed abroad in your heart. As Paul said, as John Wesley loved to preach, hope you know this love. I hope that you know that there's never been a point in your life when God, God's love was pursuing you. Charles G. Finney was a great preacher in the 19th century. He was another great instrument God used to awaken God's people. And if you read the, the biography, autobiography of Charles G. Finney, when he talks about his first experience of grace, he said it was as if he felt, there's that word again, it was as if he felt Liquid waves of love rolling over his being. Felt the liquid waves of God's love washing him. Hope you know God's love this morning. Hope you feel God's love this morning. Hope you know there's never been a time when God hasn't been pursuing you. That very first breath you took was the breath of God being breathed into you. Even before conception, God knew all about you. I hope that you understand, church, that you were, you were made on purpose with a purpose. That's how special you are to God. The psalmist, Psalm 139, says, We are all fearfully and wonderfully made. That's how much God loves us. You know, you may have done some bad things in your life, but that's not who you are. Those are just some bad things in your life. You may be in a bad place right now in your life, and I'll let you define bad. You may be in a bad place right now in your life, but just understand that's where you are. It's not who you are. I hope that you know God's great, great love for you. I hope that you know God's love for you to the extent that you feel God's affection for you. I think for a lot of us, if we would ever feel God's affection for us, that could cure a lot of our brokenness. Most of us cognitively believe that God loves us, We understand, at least we profess this, we understand that there is absolutely nothing you or we could ever do to make God love us more than God loves us right now. There is absolutely nothing we could ever do to make God love us less than God loves us right now. That's the glory of the gospel. We know that. That's that's the centrality of Christ in our life. That's the it is finished, done part of our life. Most of us know that on a cognitive level But we don't always feel the great, great affection of God for us. Perhaps that's what Finney meant when he felt the love of God rolling over him like liquid waves of love. 
And perhaps we could not even stand completely feeling, feeling in the depths of our being the love that God has for us. But I think most of us need to get closer to really feeling more of God's great affection for us. Grace is the gift of God for us in Jesus Christ. Grace ushers us into the presence of God. Grace then sustains us on the journey. St. Augustine one time said, or he actually wrote, that God will put salt on your tongue so that you will thirst more for God. Hope all of us are here this morning thirsting for more of God in our life. Again, grace, God's empowering presence in our life. I hope that you are thirsting for God, and that's what's propelling the way you live in life. I want to ask you some questions, and I don't want you to answer them here and now, even in your mind or your heart. I want you to go home and ponder these questions. Because this is important stuff, church. And excuse me for using that theological term, stuff. But this is important stuff. If we don't get this right, none of the rest of life will be right. So I want to offer you some questions and encourage you to ponder these when you go home. Do you know God's love? Do you feel the Father's affection for you? Are you in love with the Holy Spirit, the presence of Jesus in your life? Do you know the, the presence of the living Christ day to day? Or are you still just centering your life on you and your performance? Some of the great authors, and I'll close with this, some of the great authors in life, like Fedor Dostoevsky and Flannery O'Connor, have taught me repeatedly what the Bible teaches me. There are really two basic ways to live life. There is a focus on the autonomy of the self. That's the way Dostoevsky or Flannery O'Connor would say it. We can focus on the autonomy of the self. It's all about us and our self-actualization. It's all about us being the captains of our destiny. A radical focus on the self, the autonomy of the self. And our modern culture is built on the conviction that there is nothing more important than the autonomy of the self. But Dostoevsky, Flannery O'Connor, and all of the scripture and Christian tradition teaches me there's another way to organize our life. There's another focus of our lives that can be an option that is the much wiser, much more joy-filled, fruitful way to live. And that is not a focus on the autonomy of the self, but it's a focus on the reality of God in our lives. And those really, church, are the only two options. I know we bounce back and forth a little bit between the two from time to time, but I hope we're at least clear on what needs to be the option and the focus in our life. The autonomy of the self, seeking my pleasures and my dreams and my goals, or focus on who God is in me. So church, I hope you know his love. Feel his affection. I hope you've experienced grace, this free gift that's ours in Jesus Christ. 
And you've allowed it to usher you into the relationship. We're going to sing another one of the great anthems of Methodism. And can it be that I should gain an interest in the Savior's blood? When Wesley, Charles Wesley, wrote his hymns, he wrote dozens of verses for every hymn. We're going to only sing three verses, first, fourth, and fifth. As we sing this great anthem of Methodism, and this is a song that Charles wrote after his, right after his initial experience with grace. That's why he writes about being freed. He writes about the chains falling off, chains of performance. He writes about feeling no condemnation now. As we sing this final hymn, I, I'm going to invite you to consider doing a couple things. I do invite you to consider bringing your commitment card down front. And again, that commitment card is not just what you are committing to financially toward the ministry and the mission of Weston Memorial Church, but that's a sign and a symbol and a token of your desire to give yourself wholly to God. So there's a communion rail here. You may want to bring your card, or you may have already offered your card, but you may want to kneel at this communion rail and pray. Somebody told me, by the way, that, um, that I, can't even do an, I can't even do an altar call at Weston Memorial Church. You've had them before. So this is an altar call. Uh, you can make your pew your altar. You make your pew your place of prayer. I don't know of a better place to meet the living God than an old-fashioned Methodist altar. He's here for you. Whatever you need to do, whatever business you need to do right now with the Holy Spirit, to go deeper into this relationship so that he can have more of you than he's ever been allowed to have, I want you to do that business, that work right now with God. Begin that work and then go ponder the questions I've offered you. So whatever it is that God is calling you to do, just let God, that you, let God know that you want all that God has for you right now here in this place. Let's stand and sing.